Welcome to a new Chris Williams podcast here. Part of this played on Thursday evening on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. But the extended version uh, that includes some political stuff and uh, more media, just really in-depth stuff here with former, no, not former, current, and uh, longtime ABC executive Ray Cole. Uh, he's a, a dear friend of mine. He's been very influential for me and my career. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to launch this podcast network so that I could, um, you know, have really long and in-depth conversation with some of my mentors. Ray is certainly one of them. Uh, full disclosure, I could have gone about four hours with Ray and intend to do that at some point uh, in the near future when we can hopefully not be doing this over FaceTime audio and we can actually be face-to-face. But Ray has been uh, an executive for ABC for decades. He is very well connected, and I wanted to talk to him about media rights, about how COVID-19 and coronavirus is impacting uh, the media, how it's going to impact sports leagues, how uh, it's going to impact like fall TV shows, like uh, your, the, your TV shows that you and your husbands and wives like to sit around and watch in the fall. Are those going to be on schedule? How's that going to happen? Later in the podcast, we do talk some politics, nothing... Um, Nothing crazy, but the these these press briefings at the White House have been insane lately. They've been insane. You have to pinch yourself to convince yourself that this is the real world. And um, I I want to get Ray's opinion on that. Um, and I want to ask him how long. Uh, it seems like everybody's hated the media since I've been in the media. But how long it, it, it was it like this in the nineties? Ray's seen it all. Uh, and this was a really good interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, here it is, my conversation on the state of the media during COVID-19 with um, longtime ABC executive Ray Cole. How are you today, Mr. Cole? Are you and the, the missus staying healthy, I, I trust? Yes, we've been back uh, in Des Moines after some travel to some what we now know to be relative hot spots in New York City and Florida, but we've been home uh, just over three and a half weeks and um, and uh, I know when we landed uh, at the Des Moines airport on March 16th, we both said we'd never, ever felt so happy to be home. And uh, it's, it's a good place to be right now for all of us, I think. That was kind of a crazy time um, when, I mean, I've talked with Jamie Pollard about it quite a bit. He was in New York uh, with the tournament committee. I mean, and, and it kind of just snuck up on everybody in that world. What was it like for, for you and your wife being in New York at that time? Did you, did you feel, you know, threatened at all? Or did it just kind of hit you out of nowhere like it did much of the country? Yeah, we were in New York uh, the week before things really sort of reached that critical mass with, uh, you know, and strangely enough, it was, I think, the cascading of sporting events that started to cancel with uh, conference tournaments and uh, and the NBA, what happened that night where they pulled players off the court before tip, um, and then the NCAA stepping in and say there would be no uh, no tournament, and you know, and there was some great deal of confusion. You know, were they going to play games, but no spectators? And meanwhile, I'm watching back in Des Moines where we have high school tournaments going on. That, some of which were played in front of crowds and others that weren't. And so it, we were in New York the week before that, Chris. Okay. Uh, but, but there was a tremendous sense of 
anticipation and concern in New York City the days we were there. I was at Good Morning America on the morning of March 5th. Uh, you may have seen yesterday the sad news announced by Robin Roberts. Uh, where a longtime camera operator by the name of Tony Greer uh, passed away and succumbed uh, to the effects of COVID-19. Uh, relatively young guy, early 60s. Uh, you would look at him, think he's in good health. Uh, I saw him that morning, uh, and he gave me an elbow bump. Uh, George Stephanopoulos did the same, and others. Everybody was starting uh, to, to know that we had to change what we were doing. But I went upstairs to the second floor studio where the studio audience is for the second half hour. Uh, and from there, walked into the control room. Uh, and I said to the executive producer, a good friend of mine by the name of Michael Korn, I said, Michael, with all that's going on here, you have Dr. Jen Ashton literally with a COVID-19 phone bank set in and what previously had been the green room at Good Morning America with a team of young medical residents that she was working with to answer questions during the show. I said, how much longer can you uh, expect to have a studio audience show up uh, here in these Times Square studios? And he said, not much longer. So to your point, Chris, uh, we were there uh, right at the precipice uh, of what we now know to be a major health crisis. Um, and again, that's all by way of saying traveling to Florida the next week, we couldn't wait to get home. <laughs> no doubt. And, uh, yeah. there's, and, and there's no place like home. I think that's from some movie you may remember. <laughs> well, um, that, that, I'm really glad you kind of re- led me down that road as far as uh, being a Good Morning America. And I've been really fascinated by watching how this is impacting media, how it will impact media. We talk about it on this program, sports leagues and television contracts and whatnot. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk with you about and then branch out into some other media topics as well, Ray. Um, but I, I guess, first of all, um, what just – I know how connected you are, and I, with all of these major sports leagues shutting down, we had to cancel the NCAA tournament. The Masters is postponed. Um, Wimbledon is canceled. There's just so much. What is the, I guess, before I get into specific questions that I have for you, what is the overall feel among your peers and colleagues in in the media world with um, – you know, making these things up, loss of revenue, just in general, how, how is everybody feeling right now? Well, I think that there's no question, Chris, but that the coronavirus has really uh, upended uh, businesses across the spectrum. Uh, There's very few businesses that haven't uh, been uh, impacted in a myriad of ways in terms of the television business uh, and even network television business, local and network, um, I don't know that it'll ever be the same. Uh, and and uh, that applies across, again, uh, the horizon to, to, to radio broadcasting, which is important to you, uh, to print and other media. Uh, I'm not sure it'll be the same. It'll come back. Uh, you know, there, was a, there were an awful lot of businesses that were, you know, real estate businesses in particular, that were really hurt uh, badly by uh, the, the uh, stock market crash in 20, you know, 2007 and eight. A lot of us were hurt in a lot of industries by 9-11, and it took a while. The point is, if the past, to the extent that past is prologue much of the time, uh, we will not be the same coming back from the coronavirus. Uh, doesn't mean that we can't come back. Doesn't mean that we uh, can't have successful businesses. Uh, but I think they will be changed in different ways. 
as it relates to to uh, sports media, since you brought that up, I think that that's going to be one of the more challenging places for the television business to get back. And as you know, local television stations rely heavily uh, on network sports programming as it relates to the dual revenue stream that they demand, that they require to survive uh, from from fees. Uh, and nothing drives those uh, retransmission consent fees, as we call them, more than sports programming, live sports programming, and marquee live sports programming at that. Uh, and when you look at what's happened here uh, with ABC, for example, and the loss of the NBA, where we would now be uh, in playoffs and we would be pointing to the NBA finals on ABC uh, in in June, um, I don't know uh, to what extent uh, Commissioner uh, um, Silver will be able to get uh, any kind of a season back in to, to try to wrap up some sort of, a, whether it's an abbreviated playoff format, uh, and have a, you know, quote-unquote NBA Finals. Um, but it's going to be tough. And the same thing applies to baseball, where we would now be into the regular season and underway. Um, and 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 who knows what's going to happen in college athletics uh, by fall. We saw what it did to the spring sports. Yeah. Uh, we've seen what the impact it's going to have on a local event like the Drake Relays. Uh, as you know, nothing uh, – there's no sport – um, no league, uh, professional or collegiate has been spared, and it will take some adjustment. And how the networks, in particular, uh, and the and the leagues manage these big multi-year media contracts, where fees have been paid for events that are no longer taking place, may be one of the all-time great um, tap, tap dances that we will see. <laughs> in my media lifetime anyway, to see how they sort that out, you know? And the other thing that's happening is we're, we're going to squeeze an incredible number of events uh, into the late summer and early fall. When, when you have events like the masters uh, now set for November and you have uh, a, yeah. a, a, a much smaller event, like the principal charity classic now set, uh, for the first weekend in September, which is theoretically the opening of college football season, in, you know, in, in Ames and Iowa City, um, it, that concentration uh, and, and compaction is going to create a whole different problem. So, it, it, you know, I believe that people will sort it out. Uh, I think there are great leaders uh, in many of the in any of these leagues. I think Adam Silver is a terrific. Uh, commissioner for the NBA. He'll figure it out with ESPN and ABC uh, and TNT, who's the other partner in that package. Um, and you have people like Jamie Power. You know, Jamie's now serving. You, you pointed out earlier that he's, he was in New York uh, because he was there to serve on the NCAA the Division One Basketball Tournament Committee. Uh, and what a, what a just a crazy uh, experience that had to have been for him to be dealing with that issue when, you know, three weeks earlier, they were worried about what criticism they were going to get for what bubble teams didn't get in the tournament. It's amazing how one's mindset turns pretty quickly. Um, But look at what Jamie did last week with his, uh, with his team at Iowa state university. Uh, And he did it. uh, I exchanged communications with him and he's very proud of the culture that he's helped create there. Uh, and it's because of that culture, in his view, that he was able to get his staff and his coaches and everybody on board uh, in a very proactive way uh, to confront the challenges that are inevitable. There, there's no getting around 
uh, the adjustments that are going to have to be made uh, in the way people manage their businesses. And I'm focusing on sports now, but boy, that's true of the restaurant business, you know, the movie theater business, which was already sort of feeling the the kinds of pressures in a different way that the newspaper business, for example, has been feeling uh, with a lot of headwinds. And then you throw a coronavirus, um, you know, dynamic into the mix. Uh, What the movie business has been fearing for years is the major studios releasing, uh, you know, uh, their their new films directly via streaming and making them available through another, another, you know, vertical channel. And that's being done now uh, in the wake of COVID-19. And boy, as I said to somebody yesterday, that's, uh, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, on a decision like that. Uh, and so what does that mean? I, 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 I drive by that beautiful new theater out at the Waukee uh, that they have and that beautiful big new building with that huge screen uh, and it's sitting there idle and, you know, the debt that must be uh, have to be serviced yet uh, on a facility like that and it's sitting empty. You know, you, you just worry about businesses, big businesses, small businesses and businesses in between they're really going to have to work hard, uh, and with 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 some division, not division, but vision. I'm trying to say uh, about how they can retool uh, and move forward. So it remains to be seen, Chris. But uh, uh, I think what most people are waiting for now is the opportunity to do that, whether it's sometime after May first or May or June first or. Um, I still have a TV station in Florida. I'm on the phone with them three times a day, every day, seven days a week right now, trying to work through this minefield. Uh, Florida is still um, trending up, unlike Iowa, where we see, I think, a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, On a call this morning, I was told that Florida's apex is now projected to be on April 21st. So it's going to be a while, but uh, we've got to figure out how we make uh, the business work uh, for, for us. And uh, and I know a lot of people are in that same position as we are. So how is as far as sports go, and these these massive you know multi billion multi million dollar contracts that are all out there. Let's let's take the NBA and just say specifically um, in a hypothetical Ray. Let's say that Adam Silver. There's been the thought of throwing all these playoff teams into like a casino, and we're quarantining these guys, and we're we're testing them to make sure it's safe, right? We're, we're, we're past the medical aspect of this and we can play the playoffs. So how would ABC or ESPN and, and Turner, who own the rights to the NBA playoffs, how do you guys view it as um, playing in front of an empty arena? Does that – a two-part question here. One, does that impact you guys at all? I mean, I, I think I could make the argument that ratings would be through the roof, but two – and and I, I even see this locally here, um, like my website, our website, Cyclone Fanatic, like our traffic is through the roof right now, but we're making less money than ever because there's no advertisers. Nobody's spending any money. So my question is revenue wise for the networks, like are they still getting bang for their buck if um, if we would have the NBA playoffs at this point? Is all that pre-sold or would the networks almost have to just eat it in that sense? All right. There, you have a lot of questions there, so let me break it down. I think the, the first thing is is the, the general understanding that uh, on a point that, I, that you uh, hit on, and that is 
that uh, in terms of the television business right now, audiences are up and revenues are down. Yeah. Uh, national advertisers, uh, you know, COVID-19 really hit, uh, uh, you know, really hit us hard in the middle of March. Uh, and that's about the time that most national advertisers place what we call spot business for the, for what would have been the second quarter buys. Uh, for the most part, national advertisers uh, are now uh, just, just holding on, uh, keeping as much powder dry as they can to see what they want to do in the way of marketing uh, after things settle down. I expect uh, April will remain difficult. Uh, May will improve slightly, and I'm hoping that it's more business as usual in June. So that's sort of the general backdrop. As it relates to something specifically like the NBA, uh, I don't know that uh, Adam Silver or Jimmy Pitaro, who now runs ESPN, uh, have a clue as to how they're going to uh, figure out uh, an arrangement whereby some semblance of an NBA uh, playoff and f- NBA finals can be conducted. I would suspect ESPN, uh, as you pointed out, you know, the ratings would probably be terrific. You got ESPN r- working right now with some uh, big name NBA players to televise uh, a virtual game of horse mm-hmm. uh, where they would eliminate uh, players uh, through a, uh, uh, through matchups, uh, and they would move through brackets. And I think that sports fans are craving uh, anything that's new and different. Uh, we can only watch, uh, as much as I love the Iowa State-Oklahoma State football game from a few years ago, you can only watch so many classic games before you'd say, wow, I just want to see something that's first run and different. Okay, So whether they're playing in front of a, a, a packed arena or an empty arena, uh, and have it televised is an interesting question. Right before the NBA pulled the plug, trial balloons were sent up about playing regular season NBA games at that time in front of uh, no fans. And uh, players like LeBron James spoke out very quickly. Uh, and I bet if he could do it over again, he would have held back. But LeBron was very uh, vocal in expressing his view that he plays for the fans, quote-unquote, and the idea of playing in front of an empty arena uh, was just something he said he didn't want to be a part of. Well, I don't think he's going to have that luxury uh, to make that call. Uh, I think uh, he'll go along with whatever the league decides, um, and they may have to do something uh, like that. Uh, You know, Delta Airlines announced yesterday they're now selling seats on planes with nobody in the middle seat. You know, the leagues may have to go to some sort of a seating arrangement if they have any fans at all that keeps some social distancing uh, considerations in mind. Um, So, you know, I talked earlier to you, Chris, about how all businesses are going to have to rethink the way they do business, uh, that the way we've done it may never be the same. And that will probably be true in varying degrees, depending on what kind of business you're in. Um, But anybody who thinks that we can go back to business as usual Um, And that concerned me a little bit about President Trump's comments after he held a call with all of the top uh, league officials. It was interesting. There was no uh, conferences or any collegiate representatives on that call that he did in the last week. Uh, You know, he had, uh, you know, things that you like, like WWE and UFC, along with all the other more uh, mainstream professional sports the league's represented, and he talked afterwards about everybody's chopping at the bit to get back to business as usual. And you know, and I think it's okay to be uh, thinking uh, about how we do that. You know, I'm not sure the timing is right uh, when 
when New York City is still dealing with the with the may- mayhem they are uh, about worrying about when we're going to restart, uh, you know, Major League Baseball or or postseason uh, NBA basketball or any of the other sports. It's just um, it, I think it's a ways away, but you can be sure that in all of those league offices, Park Avenue, uh, where the NFL is. Uh, you can be sure that they're looking ahead right now uh, to how they can come back. You know, they just did a new deal, collective bargaining agreement with players that spans the number of playoff team uh, games and teams, and um, pulls back a little bit on preseason games. And now, now they have to rethink all of that in the context of a post-COVID nineteen world. And you can be sure, as I said, that they are figuring that out right now with all kinds of scenarios uh, and schedules um, and doing the kind of things that that uh, colleges have to be thinking about as well. If the, N- the NCAA basketball term, and you would know this and, and most of the listeners to your show uh, are pretty astute, Chris, as I listen to them call into you and Ross over the years, I think everybody understands the enormous hit that colleges and universities uh, will experience in the coming years, not just year, but years, uh, because of the loss of the NCAA basketball tournament with the enormous rights fees. And we're talking B with billions and not M with millions when yeah. it comes to the flow of revenue uh, back to schools and universities as a result of that tournament. Uh, and uh, that you know, th- those are the kinds of adjustments uh, into the way uh, people are doing business. Uh, People like Jamie Pollard and Gary Barta and, um, you know, even the University of Northern Iowa, everybody is being impacted. And I'm not sure people realize the extent to which even Division II and III schools benefit from the Division I um, uh, pipeline of of cash that comes from that tournament and some of the other live sporting events. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting, Chris. Uh, I, I as you know, t- a tendency to ramble. No, it's and okay. You gave, me a, you gave me a long question. I've given you an even longer it's answer. Okay. But- yeah, I just like, I'm fascinated by um, the, well, it's been really interesting for me to watch how this iRacing's kind of take it off with Fox. I mean, they got like a million and a half viewers. And I, I think the point, the reason I bring that up to you, Ray, is just how starved people are for uh for anything right now i think the horse will do very well on espn they announced that bracket today um but i want to know and i'm sure that it's being worked out right now but is there a way that we as an industry can i don't know use this let's say again the nba playoffs we'll just keep using or baseball let's say the major league baseball is playing uh, in front of empty stadiums in Arizona, like they floated out there this week. Yep. Can we sure take did. can we take some liberties as an industry, kind of like what was being tossed around last year with the football, the the American Alliance of Football, whatever the heck that was called, um, and what we've seen with the XFL. Could you mic up Kawhi Leonard when he's playing LeBron and the Lakers in the NBA playoffs? Could we? You know, could we put a little camera on a on a batter at spring training? Are there different things as an industry do you, that you think that they that the sports world will will utilize during this time and really do some experimenting because they need to. Uh, the the energy would be down without fans, but I, but maybe this is a great way to improve the product too. What do you think about yeah. that? 
I think you're on to something. I think the more uh, leagues uh, and sports um, take a, a approach what you just described with a, with a clean, fresh uh, palate, the better off they'll be because they're going to have to do some things differently. And, and again, Major League Baseball, you brought it up. Well, what a difference a few months make. We were worried about uh, you know, pitch clocks uh, between pitches and the length of the games and, and how you could play an extra inning game and putting a guy at second base. All of that's out the window now, and, and they're going to have to be thinking about those kinds of uh, fundamental changes to, to the way those, those games are played and especially presented and produced for live television if there's no fans there, which is your point. Um, and I don't think there's any question in, you know, we saw with that summer, uh, you know, the spring summer football, uh, some of the things they were doing that were really taking fans inside the game. Uh, and you know, it's not just enough for, for the NBA, uh, to, to have a coach uh, committed to have to uh, talk to a, to a sideline reporter, uh, like Doris Burke coming off the court at halftime. Uh, you know, they may have to be mic'd. They may have to be available during timeouts, which they do occasionally now too. But the, the point is, is that, uh, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to really uh, think through how they produce sports that put fan engagement uh, into the mix in a way that it's probably, has probably never been considered before. Ray, um, so I, I have a theory here. And it, it, I think it might be a little bit out there, but I, I do think I'm on to something. So it, this is what came to me, okay? My, my, my mom and dad are doing just what you and your wife are doing. They're just hanging out at home, right? And there's a lot of people in that age bracket who are doing that now. Who I think, I, I go by my mom and dad, uh, were a little intimidated by some of the streaming services here over the last few years, um, trying to explain to them how to watch Iowa State and Kansas basketball on ESPN Plus was quite the chore. Um, I now have mom and dad calling me that they're binge-watching shows on Netflix because, <laughs> you know. Oh, I love it. Yeah, because they've just figured it out, right? What else are you going to do? Uh, it's where some new content is. I, I know that these leagues, and I'm, I'm, I'm peering down the barrel of 2024, okay, when all the new – um, league rights fees are up and the bidding will begin. The bidding will begin probably in a couple of summers. I would think it'll happen much before 2024. But does, does COVID-19 kind of open up the door for some of these digital only companies to maybe get in the game if they wouldn't before? They've always had the money. The question I always had was, would the leagues want to work exclusively with them as far as tier rights go, because it is a little bit, uh, you know, there a lot of older people do watch sports. Um, and I, I saw firsthand like the backlash from Iowa state fans having all those games on ESPN plus it got better throughout the year when people figured it out. But do you see this, I don't know, being a, a door opening a little bit for the Netflixes and the Amazons of the world, if they want to get into that game a little bit. Um, the short answer is yes, and I would uh, go back to the first uh, segment uh, we just did where I talked about how coronavirus has really upended businesses, and the media business is no different. Uh, it may never be the same. Uh, your parents are not alone. Uh, 
lots of people, my wife and I included, uh, we've not been big binge watchers. Uh, and we watched every episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel last week. Uh, we're into other shows now. Uh, we are doing that. And there are homes across this country that are are, are surviving through this uh, self-imposed uh, stay-at-home life that we now have. And uh, I think that's going to change things significantly. I think that the uh, streaming services, um, you know, will will certainly be in a better position now uh, because of the extent to which they're being used, and and you know the the, the adoption rate here recent in the last month has to be incredible. People who had smart TVs and never really used them, they're using them now. And there's there's other things, you know, where we're everybody's becoming a little more tech savvy. You know, I've I'd, I'd never really messed around with uh, Zoom calls before. I'm doing two or three Zoom calls a day right now. I did a Zoom call with my three kids and four grandkids. My wife and I did last Sunday night. It was the first time we had all been together. We've been FaceTiming and talking, but we did a Zoom call where we, we were all together. Um, and that sort of, of comfort and familiarity uh, with technology uh, serves the streaming services really well. Uh, one of the bright spots for the Disney company uh, in what has been right now a pretty dark period for them with the closing of their theme parks. And remember, their theme parks in, in Asia closed, in Japan and China closed well before the theme parks in this country. Um, they've had big films that were to be released, and those release dates have been pushed back. So it's not been a great time for Disney. But just yesterday, uh, they announced that uh, they they're right on the cusp of hitting 50 million subscribers to Disney Plus. The subscribers to Disney Plus are doing okay. Yeah. Uh, Disney, after the acquisition of Fox, uh, 21st Century Fox last year, uh, now uh, owns and really controls Hulu. Their experience uh, uh, an upward track right now. So all of that feeds into your narrative uh, that if there's anybody who might be winning short term. And your point of view is maybe setting themselves up to be more successful long term. It may be those streaming services. But something else we talked about in the first segment, Chris, was how leagues and networks are going to have to figure out how they work around these big agreements yeah. uh, where where networks are on the hook for fees for, for events and you know games that aren't being played. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in some cases if there isn't a renegotiation of those existing contracts uh, that might just put a little stiff arm out there for those streaming services a little longer. Uh, and I dare say maybe even uh, results in some of those uh, deals not only being renegotiated, but as part of that renegotiation, perhaps being extended uh, yeah. and they stretch out. If you're a league right now, and that's what all of us are doing in business right now. We're trying to figure out how we make things work just to get to the next week, the next month, the next year. Uh, if you're a league right now and you could you could protect uh, the, the the fees that you're due uh, and in, in order to guarantee that that revenue stream remains intact, you renegotiated the payment terms um, uh, in some way, again, even including perhaps extending the term of those rights, you might look at that. So all of that would have to be sort of factored into your uh, to your thinking there. But uh, I think you're right uh, that at some point, uh, if you look at what's happening right now with uh, Netflix and, and Amazon and Hulu and 
uh, even Google YouTube, it, it, there's uh, there's there's going to be a new competition for the broadcast networks uh, on some of that high-profile po- sports programming that you were alluding to. You raise a good point, though, um, and you talked about this a lot in our in our first segment about just changing the way everything happens. It, it, I mean, it certainly seems with all the pay cuts around college sports and whatnot that we might be getting ready for a trim down phase as far as salaries and whatnot, just across the board in that industry. And I hadn't thought about that, Ray, if this goes to a renegotiation, I mean, these are all entities that have worked together for decades and there's a lot of good faith between the the parties across the board here. Um, I don't know. Do you, so I was thinking, you know, at first, when the last round of negotiations went on, I was thinking, man, this is probably the last really big um, rights deal that a lot of these leagues are going to get. Now, I, you know, a month ago, I, I didn't believe that at all. I thought 2024 would be another boon for these leagues. Now, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so certain. certain. I mean, uh, look at CBS right now. They've merged with Viacom. Their stock's down to like $12. They lost the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're getting they're getting hammered. Uh, you mentioned Disney. The parks haven't been open. But in the same boat, um, these Just, are... I'll throw, hey, I'll throw one more in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the big one right now, I think, is Comcast NBC uh, and the loss of the Summer Olympics. Uh, yeah. That is just a... And massive. it was sold out. That's a massive hit. I don't care how big a company you are. I don't care how good your balance sheet is. Uh, you know, if we were playing that old game of, of childhood battleship, uh, that is a hit in the middle of the biggest ship on your side of the board. Great I'm point. telling you. Great point. It's a big one. So does it, I, I don't know, does 2024 not look as lucrative? Or is it too early to tell? I mean, that's a long ways out, but um, I don't know. I, I, it, it's got me thinking. I think that at the professional level, as things sort out, uh, I think it's going to uh, slow down the, the, the sort of double-digit uh, you know, increases in rights fees that had become pretty commonplace. I think on the collegiate level, if, uh, if, if uh, you know, the NCAA takes a lot of criticism from a lot of corners, and much of it is justified in my view, and one of the things that colleges and universities are going to have to stand back and, and in the wake of COVID-19, it may just happen naturally, is the almost nuclear arms race approach to facilities and and for for players and you know the kinds of uh, you know they need workout facilities they I get it and they need locker rooms and I get it but if you go to some of these Division One programs now uh, the the um, the extent to which dollars are being spent, uh, I think, may get tamped down uh, for facilities. Uh, you, 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 you pointed out coaches' salaries and so forth, uh, and I think that may be part of it as well. Because again, with the hit that these universities are taking from the loss of the NCAA basketball tournament, Division One tournament, um, it's going to take schools a little while. I don't care how. Uh, again, I just talked about Comcast, NBC, and how strong their balance sheet was in the face of the loss of the Olympics. I don't care if you're a if, if you're a University of Alabama or you're a University of Northern Iowa. Everything's relative, and you're going to have to f- face uh, the fact that uh, an adjustment in the way you've done business is going to have to change. Uh, and maybe long term, uh, that's not all bad. 
No, but that's well said. All right, I could do the sports thing with you for hours, but we only have so much time. I do have a few entertainment um, type of questions for you. Uh, how is this going to affect fall TV? Usually it's September, right, when, when all the new shows start coming out with their – you know, their new episodes. I mean, it, will this, will this be a, have a big impact on that? Well, it's already, it's already had some impact. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the fall television season, it, it always starts with what we call the upfronts uh, or the development season uh, that, that sort of concludes with the upfronts, which is a series of presentations that are made to advertisers in New York every year. Uh, the upfronts have already been canceled. Uh, the development that's occurring with the with the major studios and and their and the networks that they do business with, uh, that's ongoing. Uh, but right now, uh, there's no production being done. Uh, you know, American Idol is even uh, shut down. And uh, last night, I don't know if you saw it after the series finale of uh, Modern Family. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel hosted the rebirth of uh, a celebrity edition, primetime yeah. edition of Millionaire. Yep. And, and and I can't tell you how lucky ABC was uh, because that was shot the week before, like the first week of March, second week of March, right before uh, what I described to you earlier as the critical mass of shutdowns across the sports world and the business world, et cetera. And uh, it was great. They were able to get all of those shows in the can and be in a position to run them. And that was the intent all along was to bring that back, uh, at, at, you know, uh, coming out of the modern family finale. Okay. And you'll see that now uh, for a while. So they've got some programming like that. The summer schedule is very much in flux right now. Um, even before you look ahead to fall, but, uh, the last time, uh, I was chairman of the ABC Board of Governors during the last major writers' strike, which which took the it took the networks and and uh, and even some of the services like Netflix would be involved in that. Now they weren't the players then that they are now, uh, but it's gonna the way the writers' strike impacted us uh, in so many ways. Uh, took took months, uh, many many months to work back our way back out of. Um, and I think the adjustment here will be uh, comparable or maybe even a little more difficult, uh, but we'll see it. It, it. You know, if we can get back uh, to business as usual, if they can if get through the pilot season in May, if things settle down, if uh, normally when those pickups occur, the production starts yeah. up in mid, mid-June, uh, and then the fall season would be okay. But uh, Hollywood is shut down right now. Yeah, it, that's to me. I've I've had a take that I almost feel like there's a social responsibility by some of these sports leagues and stuff to, you know, once we get testing under control in this country and we're taking care of our healthcare officials and workers, that I almost think like just for the good of the the public, we need to give um, our entertainment. And I, you know, if you're shooting a sitcom, I mean, you should be able to take the temperature and test people. Uh, to go in and film that and allow people to get back to work in that field. I, I hope that's the case. Um, I, I'm really, um, I'm excited to read the Bob Iger book. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But the current state of the media, I, I have this as I'm 35. I've been doing this for about 15 years. And I, I don't even cover news, okay? I'm more of a commentator than anything anymore. I know my role. And generally, when it comes to the really important stuff, I try and shut my mouth. Um, but Ray, when did we become the enemy of the people? Is this a president Trump thing or 
Have you sensed it building years before? I'm watching these White House press briefings, and man, they're get they're awfully toxic. Um, and, you know, and we're we're finally getting press briefings again. It had been you know, I believe, hundreds of days uh, before um, COVID popped up that that the president had held one. In fact, the press secretary just got fired yesterday, and she had never hosted a press briefing, which is an that's a, is a crazy story in its own right. But did, did you, did you ever sense it? Was this, a, is this strictly a Donald Trump thing, Ray, or have you sensed this years before that? Oh, I think there's a long history of friction between presidents and the press corps. Um, so this is not a new phenomenon, but it has uh, reached a point now where it is uh, probably about as toxic as it has ever been. Um, on the Sunday before the Iowa caucus, uh, Susan and I were having breakfast uh, at the machine shed, and the woman in the booth next to us with her husband and her parents and her young baby was uh, Kaylee McEnany. And Kaylee, you may know that name yeah, because she, she was is. just yeah. she was just named to serve as the new press secretary, replacing Stephanie Grissom, uh, who, as you point out, is the only uh, that, as far as anybody can tell, is the only press secretary in the history of press secretaries who never hosted. A press briefing. So I don't know what will change. To your point, what's happening with these daily uh, coronavirus uh, task force briefings is that the president, as he so often does, uh, is assuming the role uh, of press secretary. Uh, and he has made a point uh, more, more than he's ever in the past of being um, in a mode of reprimanding reporters, uh, being sarcastic with them, uh, insulting them. In my view, oftentimes, even when they ask the most reasonable questions or, or when they persist in asking very reasonable questions that he'd just rather not answer. Um, and there's a big part of Trump's base that that plays well to. Uh, I think there's a big part of, of Trump's uh, non-fan club uh, that are really put off by it. But what's happened here, uh, according to research that was just put out this morning, uh, is his approval ratings have dipped, and I believe uh, again, and after sort of moving up a little bit, I think it has everything to do with these press briefings over the last two weeks. Interesting. You know, just just in the last two days, he he a fox he, he attacked a Fox reporter, Kristen Fisher. Okay, now he's un, oftentimes unhappy with the Fox News Channel, and he likes to talk about One America. You know, and the, I can tell you that the White House press corps is at their wits' end. Uh, they're trying to do everything they can to put in a place, uh, uh, into place, social distancing that works. And you can see how the room has been thinned out and what they're doing. You know, and Steph, the aforementioned Stephanie Grissom, who's now out, uh, invites uh, the One America reporter, Chanel Rion, in uh, after she had been booted by the White House Correspondents Association for not following the rules. And that's just a poke in the eye to the press corps, rubbing salt in the wound, any expression you want to come up with. But it just speaks to the lack of mutual respect that's going on now. And, uh, you know, and I mentioned, you know, Kristen Fisher, what she asked Trump about on Monday was the inspector general report about shortages of uh, coronavirus testing supplies and the waits for test results and when might hospitals expect to get quick turnaround of tests. And, and he, he took such umbrage. And instead of answering her in any way, he, he deflected, he recoiled, uh, and he came up with the answer that the federal government wasn't responsible for testing, that the states and hospitals should be doing their own testing. And even if that is a reasonable answer, and I would argue it's not, 
the way he went after her in the most personal way uh, was amazing. And he followed up, doubled down, saying, you should, you know, and you've seen him do this. You should say congratulations to us. Yeah. You should tell us great job. And, and, and this is, was a quote that I remember instead of, quote, being so horrid in the way you ask a question. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not that, that's not. Not why they're there. You know, Sam Donaldson was probably one of the most well-known, toughest, and yet a lot of people thought fairest White House correspondents ever. And and he, I have a great quote from him uh, when he talked about going to work every day when your job is to cover the president of the United States. And he said, quote, our job is to challenge the president, challenge him to explain policy, justify decisions, defend mistakes, reveal intentions for the future, and to comment on a host of matters about which his views are of general concern to the nation. You know, that's not happening right now, okay? It's not about being subservient to the president, obedient to the president, being nice and offering congratulations. You know, it doesn't work that way. That's that sort of scripting. Uh, you know, I read a great, great ar- ar- article from a political reporter where he talked about Trump is still trying to approach his job at a critical time in our nation's history, trying to deal with a health crisis. And he's still trying to script it like he was serving as executive producer of The Apprentice. OK, that worked there. The cast worked for him. OK, the press corps doesn't. Yeah. Okay, and that he pointed out that Trump needs to accept the press briefing as not being a reality series. And in fact, accept the fact that this health crisis is reality. It's not a reality series. So so I don't know, Chris, I'm I'm editorializing here a bit. No, that's where where I come out. You know, I'm going to add one footnote to that if I can. Yeah, go Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio last week put out a tweet where he talked about the, this is a quote, glee and delight being being conveyed and, and projected by many in the media uh, as Trump's having to deal with this and the fact that, the, that we're in an economic crisis and the stock market is down and so forth. I don't know of any network that hasn't lost a colleague to coronavirus in the last three weeks. But there is no glee and delight. Whatever Donald Trump thinks of the press corps, and and I say it all the time. The news media is not perfect. No, okay. We do a lot. There of, is we nobody do a lot of damage feeling, to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is nobody in the, no. in the media feeling glee and delight. I, I wish Marco Rubio had taken that back. To my knowledge, he still hasn't. Ray, the I guess the final the follow up I would have to that is, you know, I I scour Facebook and Twitter and. Um, and granted, to be fully full disclosure, I, a lot of my friends are very conservative. I come from a very rural part of the state, and um, they hate the media. They think that um, what I don't know what's scary to me is like this enemy of the people thing. It goes down to the people in many cases, and and I'm with you. The media, like we've done a lot of harm to ourselves. I, I look around, and a lot of the companies that own these newspapers or hedge funds. And like, it's not, um, it's not what it was in 1990. Um, my, my question to you is um, just based off of your experience over the years, has there always been like this, I don't know, public angst against the media or do we just notice it more now because everybody well, has a microphone? No, I think that 
I, I think part of it goes back to the uh, the ramping up of uh, cable news. You know, if you yeah. look at Fox, Fox News and yeah. you look at cable, at CNN on cable or MSNBC, um, I think part of it, and I think one of the most uh, troubling developments in the last 10 years is the extent to which people only seek out news from sources who bring their news to them with event that they agree with. So theoretically, what I'm saying is if you're, a, if you're a Republican, you're more inclined to watch Fox News. If you're a Democrat, you're more inclined to watch CNN or MSNBC. Uh, I, I'm proud of the fact that ABC for years has tried to play it down the middle. If you watch uh, the, uh, the World News Tonight with David Muir, um, he plays it down the middle as well as anybody in, in my uh, biased view uh, right now. And I think that's a big part of it, Chris. I think social media exacerbates that, uh, that, that broader concern that I just expressed. Um, and, the, and so many more people are expressing opinions than they ever did before. And to your broader point, I, I gave a speech when I was 30 years old. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. I was still living in Sioux City, Iowa. I was asked to give a speech about the media and the First Amendment and the relationship that uh, the press corps has with the political leaders, um, and 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 I've used this I've used this uh, statement time and time again since then, probably a hundred times, and 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 it, it's picking up on what I said to you a short while ago. The news media is not perfect. In fact, far from it. But even on the day we criticize it most, a free press is a free society's best hope to remain free. And what I would argue now with what we're facing coming out of this COVID-19 and what we're witnessing in too, too many times in these press briefings is that a free press is a free society's best hope to remain safe, to remain healthy. You want that at Washington press corps right now to be asking tough, sharp questions. You don't want them to be you know, just asking the questions that Donald Trump uh, or even Dr. Fossey, or the vice president, or whoever's at the podium at any given point in time, you don't want press, the press corps to be doing uh, to be doing their bidding. Uh, they, they should be challenged. Okay, you want them, and I do believe that that's happening. I think that that Trump is starting to recognize is the more he tries to punish reporters for asking those direct questions, it doesn't deter them. I, I think it encourages them to only ask tougher questions. Okay, and and to the extent that they do, I think it serves us all well, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't be respectful. And there's not to say that there aren't reporters uh, who who don't deserve uh, that occasional uh, critique. Uh, but there's a far better way to do it, uh, in my view, than the heavy hand that uh, that's shown too often right now uh, in the James S. Brady briefing room. Which, if there's other one other silver lining here, at least it's being used again. That room was dark for more than a hundred days. Uh, and that's not good for our democracy either. Well said, uh, final thing I have for you. And this is what got us, um, our conversation going last night. I, I tweeted out a picture. I, I've been really excited since I found out that Robert Iger, the 15 year old, um, not 15 year old, but 15 year CEO of the Walt Disney company had released a book. I received it in the mail last night, my copy, I'm very excited of it, about it. I, I've been a long admirer of his. Um, I tweeted out a picture. You responded that he's a longtime friend of yours. And that excited me. I, I should have known that you that you knew him. I just hadn't put two and two together. 
But um, it's called The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company. I'm going to try and get this read over the weekend. But have you had a chance to, to, to read it? I know that you had a copy. What did, what did you think? I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, Bob was thoughtful enough to send me a copy at the time it was released. Um, it's an easy read. It's a fun read. Uh, and it's an informative read. Uh, you'll enjoy it, especially with the interest you have in media. Uh, it tells his backstory uh, of how he uh, rose, uh, his rise through uh, ABC uh, and then through the Disney company was nothing less than meteoric. Um, and he is uh, one of the one of the great business leaders of our time. Uh, he, he's been ranked every year. The Hollywood Reporter puts out a list of uh, the 100 the most powerful people in Hollywood. And I think he's been number one on that list for three or four years running. Uh, at the end of last year, he was named Time Magazine's Business Person of the Year. Uh, all those accolades and many others, too long to enumerate for you here, um, he deserves. I- I've known Bob. We first met. He was working in ABC Sports for the legendary Rune Arledge. Uh We were both young. Bob's a couple years older than I am. Uh, but uh, we've we've maintained a, 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 a very... Uh, enjoyable relationship for me through the years as he moved up through ABC um, and then through the Disney company. And uh, uh, his singular greatest achievement may be, you know, not be Pixar and it may not be Lucasfilms uh, and and it may not be Marvel. It may be the acquisition of 21st Century Fox. We'll see how that plays out. Um, But the downside of that uh, is he was set to, um, to, to leave uh, Disney and leave that position he's held for 15 years and was seriously considering a run for president. Uh, he invited me to meet with him in his office in Burbank a few years ago. We talked about the Iowa caucus. We talked about what would be involved. Um, I in- offered whatever encouragement I could uh, to him uh, because I believe he would have been, uh, a, he, Bob's a Democrat by most people's definition, uh, but he's a very middle-of-the-road guy. He's a business person, which aligns him with a lot of interest that a lot of Republicans have. Um, he would have been a fascinating uh, presidential candidate, but we'll have to wonder about that. I remember a great quote from Oprah Winfrey who said that if Bob Iger, who she was pushing uh, harder than anyone to have him run for president, she said she would have uh, uh, moved to Iowa and she would have walked door to door and knocked on doors for Bob Iger until her knuckles were bare. <laughs> so we'll never know. We'll never know uh, what, uh, what might've been, but that's the quality person he is. Take politics out of it. Uh, that book you're reading, it's all about leadership uh, qualities and, and traits and attributes um, that, uh, that any aspiring leader uh, can benefit from. So it's called The Right of a Lifetime. If others haven't seen it or heard of it uh, and you've just started reading it, uh, I would encourage them to run it down. Ray, uh, I could have done this for another two hours with you. So uh, can we do a rain check and do this again here in maybe a month or two when things have kind of settled down and we can reassess yeah. everything? Is that good with you? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it's at a time we can be together in a studio yes. and instead of our, our faceless connection today. Uh, and Ross can be with us. And uh, as we've done so many times, it's it's always a pleasure uh, and a joy to spend time to, with you guys, Chris. I mean that. And uh, keep up the good work you're doing on radio, and it's Cyclone Fanatic. Thank you, sir. That means the world to okay. me. I appreciate that. Thank you very much.